0: Welcome to Inside the Gridiron with Jack Borowski on PodSource, your home for all things NFL-related.
1: Welcome to Inside the Gridiron on PodSource. I'm your host, Jack Borowski. On this episode, we are fortunate to be joined by Ron Slavin. Ron is currently an agent for stars, one of the top football agencies in the country. Ron, thanks for joining me on the podcast. No problem. All right. Now, first, Ron, you've been in this business for a long time, have had a lot of high draft picks, plethora of second contracts. But when thinking back to the start of your career, how did you first get into the agency business?
0: Um, So I always was more of a basketball guy. I mean, I have loved football, but basketball was my sport. I went to a high school where basketball was kind of the thing and uh, I wanted so when I went to school I wanted to be an NBA agent that was kind of my first thought well really when I first went to college I wanted to be a a teacher and a coach but then as I got into school more and realized that being a high school basketball coach probably wasn't going to be very lucrative for me I decided that you know I want to be an NBA agent Um, I ended up through a family friend you know with the Cleveland Cavaliers and I thought I was going to go work for the Cavaliers but the guy who hired me um, retired so I moved back to Madison Wisconsin I was working at a health club and met an attorney who had a couple guys in the NFL and I told him that I think I can help him get more players and he kind of blew me off for probably six months and then I talked him into um, giving me an opportunity and I befriended Ron Dane, who ended up winning the Heisman Trophy in 1999. I thought Ron was going to be the guy that was going to kind of be my first client. And I thought, oh, this is easy. You know, first guy I ever going to represent to be a top 15 pick, Heisman Trophy winner. Um, but then when we went to go sign him, um, his uncle and high school principal got involved. So then they ended up representing Ron. Um, so it was a pretty humbling experience right from the start. And it's been 20 years of, a lot of ups and downs. It's definitely a roller coaster um, occupation. I know there's millions of people that want to get into the business, but at the end of the day, you gotta have a the ability to brush off the things that happen that are gonna bring you down like the round dames of the world and but then also, you know, having high draft picks and seeing guys getting late round draft picks or undrafted guys get second contracts. The ups and downs of it all, you know, kind of all even it out at the end.
1: Right. And you mentioned how it's such a difficult business and recruiting is hard. So, for us on the other side who aren't agents, what is the recruiting process like for an NFL agent?
0: Um, well, when I first got into the business, I just recruited everybody I could. I wasn't married, didn't have kids, didn't really have anything. Else to do but recruit as many guys as you can. So I was trying to get as many kits for the draft as I could. Um, as I've grown in the business, I real you know you realize that it's not about quantity; it's more about quality. And if you want to make a profit, you want to get top 100 players because you have to spend a lot of money on training and their housing and their car and massages and meals you know, and all these other expenses. So um, when I first started, I recruited a ton of guys and the training business and everything wasn't as big of a deal. And you didn't have to give these guys per diem because most kids, the state of school lived off their scholarship check and got trained by the, by the school trainer. But now everybody goes, these training facilities. So um, to answer your question on the recruiting part of it is I just tried to recruit three or four top 100 players. It doesn't always work out that they go in the top 100. I might see them as top 100 players. Um, like a guy like Charles Leno in the left tackle. I thought for sure he'd be a top 100 guy and then' fall into the seventh round, but you know now he's in the pro Bowl this year. So you have to either one trust your own ability to scout a player and whether or not a team drafts in the top 100, know that he's a top 100 talent and a guy that can make it to the second contract. Um, so recruiting, you get scouting reports, national scouting reports um, before the season starts, usually actually actually right after the draft. Um, and then you kind of figure out what area you want to include in. If you have any sort of connection to that player, I like to have some sort of connection to the player just because I feel like that makes it easier walking into a room than just cold calling on somebody that has no idea who you are, has no idea anybody you represent. Um, that's why I have nine players out of Boise State cause I just stuck to those relationships at a certain school. I used to have a bunch of kids out of Arizona for a while. Um, so I, le- I just like to do it that way. A lot of agents will just recruit as many guys as they can and they'll just cold call everybody and then hopefully narrow it down in the end. But the way that I like to do it is, like I said, try to aim for three or four guys who I think are top 100 type talents and guys that I see that can play in the league for seven to ten years.
1: And Ron, you mentioned how Charles Leno, a, a lot of Boise guys when I was researching, it was interesting. A lot of your really successful clients went to Boise. Boise, Idaho is not the easiest place to get to. So, like, what led you to recruit at Boise? A follow-up to that is, like, what do you attribute to your success at that school?
0: So, in 2008, I represented Antoine Quezon, who ended up being a first-round pick with the San Diego Chargers. He had a friend that was at Boise State, Orlando Skandrick, and and Antoine said that Orlando wanted to talk to me. And I said, well, let me make some phone calls first. And I called around, and people told me that Orlando should go back to school. He's probably not ready to come out, not physically as a player, but immature and needed to grow up a little bit. Next thing I know, Orlando comes out, finds an agent, fired that agent, hired another agent, went through the draft process and looked to fall into the fifth round. And then after the draft, Orlando called me and said, you know, you're the only guy that lied to me. Um, so, I ended up signing Orlando, and then once I got Orlando, um, he was a good friend of Jeron Johnson. So then I got Jeron, and then Jeron was tight with Georgia Loca. Georgia Loca was tight with Leno and Jamar Taylor. Jamar Taylor was tight with Darian Thompson. Leno was tight with Riso DeHombo. Um, Darian and Tanner Vallejo were tight, and then Tanner Vallejo and Leighton Van Der Esch were tight. So it just kind of kept being a referral business through friends. And that's just kind of how it took off. Boise is, an, and actually, is an incredible city. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's. I think it's named like the most livable city in in the world. So I mean, it was. I actually liked going there. I liked going to games there. It's a great atmosphere, and they're they're a really good program. I mean, from 2010, 11, and 12, I always told people that they would have had a kicker those years, Should have been playing in the national championship game because I went to games. 2011, they played Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech and beat them. The next year, they played Georgia at Georgia and destroyed them. And if you look at that defense, they had Marcus Lawrence, Tyrone Crawford, Georgia Lopez, Jamal Taylor. I, mean, I can go on and on with the amount of talent they had on that team. They had two really good receivers who are second and third round picks. The offensive line on that, fasted Kellen Moore, who's a really good college quarterback He's now the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. So. I mean, they just had so much talent there that it was a good place to get in. And the reality is I probably missed out on some guys. I mean, DeMarcus Lawrence, I was told he should go back to school if so I didn't recruit him. And now he's looking at a $100 million contract. And Tyron Crawford, I, I was paying so much attention to the secondary guys, I missed out on him. And I mean, there's a ton of talent coming out of there. So, was, you know, people kind of were sleeping on Boise for a long time there in, in t- the 10, 11, 12
1: season. Right. I remember Kellen Moore, a really successful offense and defense there. They won a ton of games. So with like with players like Demarcus Lawrence, guys, I was mentioning Orlando Skandrick, how some say he should have gone back to school. Recruiting junior is a little bit different than senior. So what would you say is the difference between recruiting a player who's a junior versus a senior who has to come out?
0: Well, a senior that has to come out for the draft, um, yeah, he's, he's more in the he's more in the you know recruiting mindset. He knows he's going into the draft. Um, whereas a junior, like with for example, Lake Vanderess last year, every game he just kept getting better and better and better. So, Leighton probably I know a lot of Leighton, me a lot of agents were calling him throughout the season, but I don't like to mess with these guys until you know you you see they have the momentum where they're going to come out. So when I called Leighton right after Thanksgiving and we talked, you know, that was the first time we had talked. He'd already had some relationship with agents, but he and I just hit it off and he felt good about the guys I represented from Boise. Um, so recruiting a junior is like, get a lot of information really fast in November, December, find out if teams think he's a high enough pick to come out. And then it, it, it happens a lot faster and to be honest with you, it's a lot easier to recruit juniors. I think a lot more juniors are coming out every year because the senior classes are being, they're smaller and smaller with talent because so many juniors are coming out. But also I think agents, unfortunately they're talking a lot of guys that come out that probably shouldn't come out just based on the fact that it's easy to recruit these juniors. Cause you can just talk to them for a month and talk them into coming out instead of where the seniors know they're coming out. You have to establish a relationship and talk to these guys for almost 12 months before you're going to sign them. Mm-hmm.
1: And with meeting with players, you spoke with about Leighton a little bit later on in the process. How many times will you usually meet with a player who is interested in having you represent them as their agent before the draft process?
0: Leighton that one time. Um, back before I had kids, and like I said, I was traveling all over. I was going to games every weekend. I was meeting with guys. I was seeing guys sometimes, six, seven, eight times in the season. Um, once I had kids and I had to kind of figure out my time, use my time more wisely, I'd meet with guys maybe two or three times during the season. Um, now, this past year, the guys that I signed, um, I met one time before the season started, and then I met him when I signed them. Um, and then a junior that I signed this year, I actually didn't even meet him until after he was coming out. So I, I, it's, it, it's changed just because it's a different way of. of I'm doing things differently than I did when I first started.
1: Right. And with, I know it's always great getting meetings, signing players, but for those who aren't as experienced in the agency business, like how do you get coming, get in contact with a recruit initially?
0: I mean, again, a lot of times you better hope you have a relationship with somebody. because so that's the easiest way to get a hold of them. Otherwise, a lot of these people I know, um, Agents hit these guys up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's how they start the relationships. I don't do it that way. I want somebody to give me a number or somebody that knows me. They can let them know, hey, Ron's giving you a call.
1: And then once you sign the player, Ron, I know that there's a lot of importance that goes into the training and the pre-draft preparation. So then there's the combine and the pro day. And we know that the combine, it's more televised. It's the 40-yard dash, the big events. But which do you think impacts, from your experience, a player's stock more, their combine or pro day?
0: Um, combine is going to be the most important because they're being seen by everybody there. If there's somebody that you know wasn't invited to the combine, then obviously the pro day is very important. But the reality is the tape is going to tell guys you know, where they're getting drafted 90% of the time. But the pro day and the combine just verify... Play speed, athleticism, you know, all those types of things that go into the evaluation process. The interviews are important for guys who they think might be immature. With a lot of juniors coming out, you're getting them, you know, 20 year old kids coming out of school. So again, it's, it's a maturity thing more than anything else. They just want to sit in front of them and see if they're the type of kid that they want to give millions of dollars to and if they can trust them to show up to work every day, if they can trust them to show up to work out so they can trust and be good teammates. You know, those are, those are the important parts of that part of the evaluation.
1: And Ron spoke about earlier, how the training process has changed so much as you've gone into the business, how originally it was more, you trained with your college team. So how do you prepare your clients for their combines and pro
0: days? Um, so I mean, we use trainers. Training facilities, mostly we use Exos. Um, I've been sending guys to Exos Arizona over the last few years. There's an Exos even in Dallas where I think I'm going to start having them come here just because it would be close to my house and less travel. Um, but to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of any of the training facilities. I, I think more or less you're paying $30,000 to make sure your guys are eating right and working out every day and someone's keeping an eye on you. It's more or less like a $30,000 daycare uh, babysitter. But the reality is if you're fast, you're fast, if you're not, you're not. If the tape's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. It's just, I think a lot of this has gotten out of hand. A lot of the money being spent by agents is ridiculous. Um, but it's part of the deal and you know, it's part of what I signed up for, so I'm, I have to do it. But the days of I mean, I used to get a lot of guys in the early 2000s out of the University of Wisconsin and their strength and conditioning coach at the time, his name was John Detman, and John did a great job. Like Chris Chambers went to the combine, just blew it out of the water. Lee Evans blew it out of the water. Um, I could name a hundred guys that came out of Wisconsin that they go to pro day and do a lot better than what Wisconsin guys are doing now going to training facilities. So again, the, the training facilities are what kids want, but are they a necessity and are they worth the money? I don't think so.
1: That's really interesting because I know I hear a lot about how important the training process is. So coming from an agent, that's really interesting. So then also kind of around the time of the combine is free agencies kind of starting at the same time. So being that you're an agent, you have clients at the combine, but you also have free agents. How hard is it to juggle handling free agency while still trying to help your rookies prepare for their combine in future events like the pro days and team visits?
0: Um, I mean, they're two separate things and the combine are actually over by the time free agency starts. Um, you'll have your meetings at the combine about your free agents, but, and the way the free agency is going now, it's over. It seems like it's over in two days anyway. So it's not a long drawn out thing like it used to be where, you know, the first week, the big guys would sign the second week, the second tier guys would sign the third week, third tier guys would sign and people are all getting money. Now it seems like there's 30 guys that are getting a ton of money and everybody else is kind of getting screwed. Um, the whole system in general, I think is flawed and hopefully they figure it out in the next CBA because it's, you know, they want to talk about how much money is going on in free agency, but throughout these mostly deals aren't guaranteed past year two. A lot of them are guaranteed in year one. If you look at what the 49ers are doing this year. Um, so, I guess I kind of got off track here with your question, but juggling the, the combine and the free agency isn't really that difficult because, like I said, the free agency, part of it happens after the combine. And, and then going to pro days after the combine, I mean, you're seeing teams, you're seeing scouts, you're talking to guys, but it's really just all kind of, it all kind of just ends up coming together as
1: one. And then with the whole contract negotiations, you've done a lot of second contracts and kind of how when you look at MLB contracts, fully guaranteed, NBA contracts, fully guaranteed. So the NFL, it's a lot different. What is a contract negotiation like with an NFL team with all the factors involved in it?
0: Well, all 32 teams think alike. Well, I should take that back. 31 teams think alike. The Bengals do things different. But they think, you know, they think alike with the way they do things. They, come at you with, you know, an offer. You go back at them and it's it's like anything else. We usually try to meet in the middle of where they think you are and where you think your guy is. Um, hopefully leaning more towards where you think your guy is. Um, but like the Bengals, they don't tamper. They don't talk to anybody. And then all of a sudden you'll just get a call at a three and two starts and they'll make you an offer. Um, the Bengals don't guarantee any money past year one. I don't know why any team, any any agent or player would ever do a contract with that team moving forward. I really think like last year, and I had George Aloka, the way they handled his situation. If I was, I mean, moving forward, I'd sending someone to the Bengals. It's going to be difficult for me unless they start guaranteeing past year one. Um, but it's a back and forth. It's figuring out, you know how far you can push a team and how far they're going to let you push them until they just pull the deal off the table.
1: And have you noticed any particular change in how teams are potentially uh, structuring contracts as well as handling negotiations now versus when you were earlier on in the business?
0: I think before the new CBA deals were structured more towards the player. I feel like Players are making more money back then. There's more; pe- the money was spread out across the roster. Where since the new CBA was signed, they would pay six to eight guys more than ten million dollars a year, and the rest of the roster they're trying to make up with guys on their rookie contract. The middle cap- the middle class player that we used to see are on the league. I'm representing them. Some guys who played ten or eleven years in the league, Clint Creewald and Aaron Steckers of the world. You know, they'd make between a million and two million dollars for five, six, seven years as backup special teamers, core players, though, on the team. I mean, they both won Super Bowl rings because they're important pieces of the puzzle for Tampa and the Steelers to win a Super Bowl. Um, those guys are gone, and, you know, the AAF is probably going on a business, it sounds like, and they're struggling to find guys developmental league. but, you know, the, the a lot of those guys in that in AF are probably guys that can be those you know, core players and make one to two million dollars, but they're just not making it anymore because the the way the league is structured now, and with the new CBA and the way things turned out with the rookie deals, is rookie rookies are so cheap that they'll try to have the Rockets be lean heavily towards having guys on the rookie contract so they could save money to pay the quarterback thirty million bucks and their pass rusher. 20 million bucks in their left tackle, 15 million bucks in one of their corners, 15 million bucks. I named five positions and there's a large portion of the salary cap.
1: And then kind of based on how things are changing with the new CBA and how contracts in general are changing, what would you say are the benefits to signing a contract extension with the team instead of waiting until free agency?
0: The benefit of signing with the team isn't always going to be financial. It's going to be that you're re-signing with a team that either drafted you or brought you in early on. They have a commitment to you. The the front office knows you. The scouting department knows you. The training staff knows you. The benefit of the familiarity with the organization, I think, helps. And, for example, let's say you sign a five-year deal with the team you're on for $50 million, you're probably going to make it to year three or four of that deal with free agency. And you go to another team, you might sign a $60 million contract, but you, you, you'll you be lucky to make it past year two. So yeah, it looks great in the newspaper and everybody's saying, Oh, this guy to signed for 60 million, but he really made 24 million where the guy who stayed with his team and signed a five year deal for 50 million and he's, more than likely making years three, maybe four. Well, now you're talking 30 to $40 million. So would you rather have 30 to $40 million over three or four years, or would you have 24 over two. Um, and then usually those guys, you know, get cut from those teams and they go take a $3, 4000000 million contract. So at the end of the day, staying with your team, if you can get a good number and a fair number, I think makes a lot of sense. I know there's people on, you know, all the Twitter geniuses and in there's guys out there that used to work in the league that are like, why would anybody time with their own team? There's so much money out there in free agency. But that so much money in free agency isn't always better. And financially, over the long term, they might not make as much money as if they stay with their own team.
1: Yeah, and Ron, I know hearing it from an agent, like I I see everything ESPN, all these different analysts kind of saying, just wait till free agency, you're going to sign these mega contracts. Hearing it from an agent, you start to realize how it's a lot different than five years 60 cause you could end up making only two years, 24. So then also kind of what I'm interested in knowing, cause I've spoken to a few GMs and things of that nature. And I've gotten to know that you're have close relationships with GMs and scouts around the league. How important is that for an agent? And how did you end up getting in that position?
0: Um, I just think I've built relationships over time. Um, and I think I'm, pretty trustworthy and they know that when I'm telling them something or if I hear something, um, around the league, that it's probably factual. Um, I go to the combine and talk to these teams. It's not about what I think my players are going to make, but what I think the market's going to be. I think they know, they think they, I think they know that I have a pretty good sense of what guys are going to make or what players on the league are worth. Um, but it's just developing. It's like any business; nothing is different. Um, it's just the longer you're in it, the better relationships you build, and hopefully you've built up enough trust with enough people that they know they can trust you, and you can trust them, and you guys can you know work together on contracts or if something's going on with the player, you need to help them. That um, so they can work together, to make sure that player gets any help they need. I mean, all those things come into play when you're dealing when you're working in this business.
1: And Rod, kind of switching gears a little bit here. I mentioned it in the intro how now you're with sports stars, which is a huge agency in general. What's the process like when switching agencies?
0: Um, well, with me, with the reason I joined sports stars is I felt like I, in the recruiting process, I wasn't losing. And some to these guys because of who I was or the way I did business, I was losing because they they would tell me, you know, I had some parents tell me, well, there's no way you can handle everything yourself, even though I've been doing it for as long as I have, and I have handled everything. They wanted me to have, you know, marketing people behind me. They wanted to have back office people behind me and doing this as long as I have and, and knowing the way a lot of these agents operate. I'm the one agency that I've made the things the right way and and did things the way I did things and operated the way I operated with sports stars. And the reason I went to work with sports stars is their back office is solid. Um, they have four man marketing department. Um, it's just made my life easier because I can pass some things off sometimes instead of me thinking I have to do everything myself. It's, it's really not, it probably wasn't realistic and maybe those parents were right, that I couldn't handle it all. But, um, Now that I have the back office, I just don't think anybody can do a better job than I do and nobody can take care of things the way I do it. Nobody really operates the way I operate with being upfront and honest. And I'm a no BS human being. And and Unfortunately, in my business, there's too many guys that, one, either aren't capable of telling the truth or, two, aren't capable of seeing the truth.
1: Yes, and I know that that's the strategy that's really important and I know that families, parents, a lot of people are getting involved in when a college player is searching for an agent and I know it's one of those businesses where there's not a ton of information out there. So what should college players be looking for when hiring an agent?
0: Well, everybody's got their own preferences, what they want and, and at the end of the day, the, the most important part, hopefully for a college guy coming out, is they want to play as long as they possibly can and and earn a really good living for as long as they possibly can. It's something hopefully that they love. And you have to love this game to play in the NFL. It's a really hard business. And I know it's, you know, NFL stands for not for long and all the other things that people say, but it's real. And the average level occurs three and a half years for a reason. Um, A lot of these guys are really talented football players, but a lot of them don't know and haven't been taught life skills. They go to these big football programs and they aren't taught anything, but their offense or defensive scheme. They go to class, kind of. They have people that help them with their homework. They have them. They have people that are preparing all their meals. They have people that grocery shop for them. So they really don't have the life skills that they need to be successful playing football. And hopefully they want to sign with someone who's going to help them attain those life skills. They're going to, they're going to sign with somebody who's going to help them understand what's important and what's not. And I feel like that's something that I am. Um, I know there's some angry players out there and that and uh, you know attack the agents and attack the union and attack everybody else and and they want to do their own contracts. They want to do their own stuff. But to me, I would if I'm going to hire anybody um, to handle. If I'm going to if I'm going to get heart surgery, I'm going to hopefully I'm going to hire the best heart surgeon in the world. If I'm going to have brain surgery, hopefully I'm going to hire the best brain surgeon in the world. I would hope that if you're gonna get a contract done by somebody, you're gonna hire the best lawyer in the world to do your contract. And hopefully you're hiring an agent who is the best person at managing everything outside of football for you. Because I think that's the most important thing about being an agent is somebody's gonna handle everything outside of football. Because if you can focus on football and you can focus on being the best you can be on the field, you're gonna be successful. I know injuries come into play. I know other things come into play that can stumble guys, but The reality is if people are focused on football, they're not worried about their social life. They're not worried about, you know, relationships. They don't let their family get too involved other than being, you know, I always tell dads and moms, like, don't worry about being anything but be their dad or but be their mom. You don't need to be their manager. You don't need to be their their financial advisor. Like, stick to what you're trained at doing. Stick to what you know. And if everybody around them can work together and do it like that, you're going to have success. So, again, another long-winded answer. But players coming out need to find people that are going to work for them and help them become not just better players but better people. And when I say handle everything, when I'm handling things outside of football, I'm also hopefully educating them and letting them know what needs to be done or what what process of getting a mortgage or getting a car loan or getting insurance. All those things walk them through that process.
1: And now, Ron, that's exactly where... I think a lot of high schoolers, college students, don't, we don't really understand that much about the agency business, what it takes, how you have to manage everything outside of football. Now you're an established, really successful agent. So what would you feel is most beneficial for a college student to study and to do outside of school in order to become a successful agent?
0: I think, and this is no shot at your generation, but when I grew up, I didn't have the cell phone. I didn't have the iPad. And I didn't have the computer to stare at all day long. I, I had, you know, I, when my parents were divorced in third grade, I went and lived with my grandparents. I lived in a, over the summer. I was in third and fourth grade. and I was talking to 70 and 80 year old, you know, grandparents on a daily basis, learning history of, you know, of our country, learning history of where they came from and, and talking to people and interacting with people. And as sad and crazy as it sounds, I don't, know how many kids these days actually know how to interact, how to talk to one another, how to look each other in the eye, have full conversations, put your phone down, and actually get to know people and build relationships with people and do the things that you need to do to operate in the agent world and operate in the professional world in general. Um, I took my son to get a haircut yesterday, and three boys come in. They're all high school boys. I think they're all brothers. Their dad brought them in all to get haircuts all three of them had their iPhones in their hand. I don't talk to anybody and everybody stared at the screen the entire time they sit in the waiting area and then doing haircuts. To me, that is a sad sign of what's come for that, for this generation. And, and I think the the kids who are going to be successful. Are the kids that get out there and, and interact with adults and interact with people and have conversations and put their phone down and, and, you know, get off of your computer screens, get off of your video games, get off of the things that really don't matter. And, and interact with human beings again. And I think that is the, the best advice I can give because if you can pick up the phone and you can have a conversation with somebody or if you can go meet somebody face-to-face and look them in the eye and shake their hand and, and build a relationship that way, those are the people I think can still recruit. Because the same kids that I'm complaining about and telling you, you know, how to become a good agent are the same kids that are playing football too. You know, All my players I represent now, they're staring at the phones all the time. And I understand that that's the way that they communicate. But I think to build a relationship and get people to have interpersonal skills, again, is just getting people face to face and having those conversations and being able to talk to people and being able to take criticism, being able to take um, encouragement, you know, all these things that come within a conversation. That's probably the most important thing. And, and know how to handle things for people, take care of
1: things for people. Right, exactly. That's definitely something that I know is an important part. And I've heard that from a lot of people in the NFL. You got to be able to build relationships, and our generation isn't really doing that. Well, that was Ron Slavin of Sports Stars. I appreciate having you on and hearing all of your insight. And good luck the rest of free agency and the draft. Thanks. You just listened to Inside the Gridiron with Jack Borowski on PodSource. If you liked what you heard, be on the lookout for more inside scoop into the NFL. Also, follow the show on Twitter at Gridiron underscore NFL for all things football related. This is Jack Borowski, signing off.